0: Good morning, CBC, let's stand to our feet, let's get excited to worship together, come on. Let's put our hands together for us like this all across the room. We respond to His goodness, His mercy, His favor with our praise, come on, with our worship. We say, who breaks the power? Every voice now, come on. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder Who leaves us breathless and awe in wonder The King of glory, the King above all kings Every voice in the house of death we say This is amazing grace
1: is unfailing love, oh, then you would take my place. into order, who makes the orphan a son and daughter, the King of glory, the King of glory, who rules the nations with truth and justice, shines like the sun in all of its brilliance, the King of glory, the King of all kings. That's why we say. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That You would take my place. That You would give it all. Come on. That You would bear my cross.
0: You for me but we tell him he's worthy together Church, come on Worthy is the Lamb Who was slain Worthy is the King Who conquered the grave We say Worthy is the Lamb Who was slain yeah. Worthy is the King Who conquered the grave We say Worthy is the Lamb Who was slain Worthy is the king who, who conquered the grave. Worthy
1: is the lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy yeah. oh, this is amazing grace. Yes, this is unfailing
0: love. That you would take my place. That you would take my place.
1: Oh. That you would bear my cross.
0: continue to give our god praise and response to who he is and all that he has done amen come on Lift your name.
1: just one word you calm the storm that surrounds me just one
2: Seated. Indeed, there's nothing that our God can't do, and I'm going to give you some. I'm going to give you some updates on some amazing things that have happened over the last couple of weeks. But before I do that, if you're visiting with us for the very first time, we just want to say welcome. We're glad that you're here this morning, and as you can see, um, our decor and everything. Uh, we're on the la- getting ready to launch our evening VBS starting tomorrow evening at six o'clock right here in this building. And so those of you who are visiting. This isn't normally how things look here, but we're glad that you're here and uh, and welcome. At Cypress Bible Church, we say, beginning where you are, becoming more like Jesus. And that's another way to say, wherever you're at in your journey, you're welcome here. Uh, We are glad that you're here. If you're just checking out what Christianity is about, we're glad you're here. If you've been a mature believer, we're glad that you're here. Wherever you're at on that journey, where you're part of the family of God, and we're just thankful to have you here this morning. Um, On the back of your pews is a QR code. That's the best way to communicate with us. And so you take a picture of that. It takes you to a form. You can communicate if you have some information that you need, if you have a prayer request, if there's something that you want someone to contact you, that's the best way to let us know about those things, and so you can check those out. We have three primary values here at Cypress Bible Church. Gathering for worship, that's what we're doing this morning. A growing through life-changing truth, and we do that best accomplished in small groups, and small group settings. We have lots of opportunities for that. Also, then, the third value is go in life-changing mission, and that's when we take the good news of Jesus to cross the street and across the world. And our VBS is all about taking the good news of Jesus to our community and neighborhood. And so uh, we're actively doing that this week, and many of you are volunteering to do that, and we're thankful for that. Um, also, uh, we are in a season of prayer called Together We Pray, and we're encouraging everybody, 8.30 a.m. and 8.30 p.m., set an alarm, uh, join us on Zoom, uh, whatever, whatever will help you to do that, to be praying for God's continued direction for us as we seek the next lead pastor and as we seek kind of moving ahead uh, as well. For those of you who are new today, uh, we are in the transition. Our lead pastor left back in, in the late in December, and so we're seeking God for who that next leader will be for us, and Together We pray is a way that we can gather together as a church body. Uh, we would invite you to join us on Zoom. You can do that by going to our church website, cypressbible.org. Scroll down. You'll see that little Together We Pray logo on there, and you'll see there'll be a little button. You click 8:30 a.m. if it's in the morning, 8:30 p.m. Take you right to us. 15 minutes to pray together with us. We'd love to have you join us uh, and do that. Um, as I said, VBS is right on the horizon, starts tomorrow. Uh, there is no longer online registration for VBS, but you can pick up registration forms out at the back today. You can also go online to cypressbible.org, and you can click on uh, information button. So there's some parent information. So any of you are bringing kids, if you didn't open the email that was sent earlier, make sure you know all that before you drop your child off tomorrow, and so important that you, you know all that information. It's, this year, it's all online, trying to give people access on their own from other locations and places. Also, BBS t-shirts are available out in the foyer. Um, but before we move on, I want to tell you about some amazing things that have happened uh, really over the last few weeks here as we anticipated BBS. Um, we moved BBS to an evening thing, and with that came a whole bunch of changes and a whole bunch of unknowns that we had to walk by faith. And one of those was volunteers, because we were changing what we'd normally done. We are so thrilled to say this is the first time that we had all our volunteers in place over a week before VBS. So let's thank God for that. And... and. We have so many volunteers who've never been able to volunteer for VBS or they had to take off work to do it because we're in the evening hours. It's opened the door for a whole new group of people. So we're thankful if you're one of those people who are volunteering for one of the first times because now you can do that without compromising your work schedule. So we're thankful to have them here as well. Um, but uh, there is another thing that happened. When we decided to do an evening VBS, our team said we will be better off to get people from the community and even our own people there if we can serve a meal. Now, we hadn't planned to do that. There were three primary obstacles we had to figure out how we were going to handle. The first was who would provide leadership for that. And so we needed a volunteer to do that. And I'm so happy to say that Stephanie Vela uh, is that leader and she will be leading that team. (laughs) Stephanie was a food service director at a campgrounds and she's doing an amazing job. And she's got 20 volunteers on her team. And so the volunteers just came into place for that very quickly. We had two other obstacles. One of the other obstacles were our cooking equipment. Uh, We planned to serve people in the gym and this was the gym kitchen two weeks ago. That is a stove that's probably over 30 years old. The left side works great. The right side was a storage bin for pots and pans because it hasn't worked for years. So how do you serve between 600 and 1,000 people with that stove? So, fortunately, there had been some uh, money that had been designated for capital improvements to help get us some kitchen equipment. Well, in a matter of two weeks, we now have this. There were, and um, one day we'll share more of the story probably through, through uh, text, I mean through email, but, but what happened at the, in two weeks, We had all kinds of obstacles. You can't believe the number of obstacles we had. And I kept wondering, are we going to get this done? Are we going to get this done? 11.30 a.m. yesterday morning, the electrician finished everything, flipped all the breakers, everything worked, and he walked out. And I I stood and cried and thanked God for his provision that we are now ready to serve the people of VBS. So let's give God thanks for all that. And there is a team of about 20 people that had to come together for that to happen. And all those people were available at the right time. So we're so thankful for that as well. Uh, The other obstacle that we had was when we planned VBS a year ago, we had no idea to budget for food. We just didn't plan to do that. And so what happened was we decided instead of us just figuring out what could we do, we decided we'd extend the opportunity for our congregation. So two weeks ago, we mentioned it. We've reminded people last week. It's going to cost us between $1,500 to $2,000 a day to feed the 600-plus people that we plan to feed. And just in two weeks, $1,500 was raised very quickly for that. And so what we're doing today is we're just saying if God moves you to be part of that, we're not expecting anybody to have to contribute. It's only if God moves you. There are really three ways you can do that. One is there's a pot back there in the back, so pretty obvious. It says meals on it. You can just drop some cash or check in there today if, if God's leading you to do that. Those of you attending VBS, we're going to put a pot quietly back by the door that goes into the gym kitchen. And we're just going to leave it there. And if you feel like you want to contribute something to that, you can do that anytime all week long. And the third way is you can go to, on our website, cypressbible.org, go down to the, scroll down to the VBS uh, tab, and it'll show you how you can give money towards that meals. We're just trusting God's going to provide that, because we didn't plan for it, we didn't expect it, but already even bringing attention to that has already, I'm sure we're well on our way. But if God's leading you to be part of that solution, we welcome you to participate in that way. Uh, Let The last thing I want to say is Evan Wepler has moved up to being really the big oversight all of VBS this year. He's our children's pastor here, and he's doing a remarkable job of stepping up to that responsibility. And if you know Evan, give him a hug. Tell him thank you. Give him appreciation because he's contributed an immense amount of hours, as has all of our team in VBS. You'll get to know more of our team next week as well. Lord, we just pray and we thank you, Lord, for all the ways you provided to bring us up to this day. Lord, we look forward to this week where kids will be pointed to you. Lord, we look forward to this week when we'll have opportunity to interact with families who are part of our community. And Lord, we look forward to this week where we get to see you at work, even as we've already been able to see that thus far. Lord, we also ask for you to guide us today as we continue to worship you. And Lord, that you would help us to be open to the message that you have for us today. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Before we continue to worship, I wanted to read a couple of scriptures over you. I'll set the table. In John chapter 8, Jesus is explaining to some of the descendants or sons of Abraham the key to freedom, how to access freedom, how to access the kingdom of heaven. And so their understanding is because they are descendants of Abraham that they have access. They're not enslaved to anything. And so we pick up in John chapter 8 verse 33. It says, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free. Man, the the, the thing is if, if you've accepted Christ into your heart, you live in that freedom. And that's the freedom we've been singing about all morning. So today, if you feel weighed down if you feel like something is too much for you in this moment give it to God he's already freed you from that sin His scripture says that he's the same yesterday today and forever so today we trust in him as we continue to sing worship is our response to who he is and all that he has done for us amen and so today let these let these words be something that sometimes our hearts want to say but our words fail to amen So let's continue to stand. Let's continue to worship. Let's continue to give God our all this morning. Amen. Let's continue to sing. Praise your name.
1: Who am I that the highest king would welcome? lost, but he brought me in. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for.
0: God, we come before you today, God. Just encouraged by the words of these songs, God. Let them be reminders during during the week of your goodness, of your faithfulness, God. That, God, that you call us a child of God, no matter what we face in life. That we're not slaves to sin and shame, but, God, we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, God. I pray that we're continually reminded of that throughout our week, God. Would you speak to us, position our hearts to receive all that you have for us today. We thank you, we love you, and everybody in the house said together, amen.
3: I don't know about you, but I was uh, greatly encouraged to hear uh, Pastor Brian speak about how God is really bringing together everything that we need uh, in order to be able to serve the community and BBS, and uh, I want to... Kind of go over that last verse, uh, verse 31, and uh, I think it's a powerful verse because it shows us that God, just as God was building up his church in the first century, God is still building up his church, and he's providing what he needs for his church to expand the kingdom. Verse 31 of Acts chapter 9 says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. So that's very awesome to see how God is still working today. And as you open your Bibles, or even your Bible apps, I invite you to go to Acts chapter 9. Uh, We're going to conclude our first parts of um, Acts chapter 1 through 9. It's right, it's the first part of Acts, our study through Acts. And uh, it's just truly amazing to see how the Holy Spirit uh, has inspired Luke to write this book, and I think it's really served us well as a community, as a group of followers of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to conclude this first part of our study through Acts in chapter 9, and it's titled, Change the Course. Change the Course. And for me, it's been incredible to share, along with this team, uh, how God builds up His church. And so if you're there already in, uh, in Acts chapter 9, we're going to go. We've got a lot of reading to do, so let's do it. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and into the house. And after laying his hands on him, said... Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food, and he was strengthened. I invite you to pray with me. All-merciful God, we thank you because you speak to us through your word. Uh, Lord, we acknowledge our weaknesses, I acknowledge that I am I'm a weak creature, but I trust in a great God. And I ask, O oh Lord, that you would just bless us and grace us today, O oh God, that you would speak through your word. May be living and powerful. May it do its will in our life. We ask these things in the most precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so chapter 9. It circles back to where we left off in chapter 7 and chapter 8 of Acts. and It incorporates a lot of what we have already studied, what we've already learned in these previous two and a half chapters in the book of Acts. Two weeks ago, we were left uh, with a sense of somberness as we witnessed the martyrdom of Stephen. We were left somewhat sad over Israel's continual blasphemy and rejection of God, the temple, the Word, And of Jesus Christ. I think all of us felt a bit of anxiety as we read of how Saul was ravaging the church in Jerusalem. And then last week's sermon challenged us to examine our hearts. To examine our motives and our intentions for proclaiming and professing the name of Jesus. Because it really truly requires us to examine what are we here for. And now this week we return to Saul. And we learn of his miraculous conversion. It truly is miraculous, as we'll see. And when we study the narratives of Simon and the Ethiopian eunuch, we, we mentioned that we looked how we saw that there was distinctions between faith which does not save and a faith which is salvific. It didn't explain the why, it explained the how, but it explained the what. But here, in this narrative, with Saul's conversion, We do get the how. We get the why. In the movie Interstellar, Earth was quickly becoming uninhabitable because of crop failure. It's one of my favorite movies. I'm a a total Interstellar geek, okay? And the only hope for saving the human race uh, was by going to this star system which had um, promise of sustaining life. And after they received this promising data, a crew was sent. A crew was sent to visit the star system because they suspected maybe three planets were probably good for life. So there was this guy named Cooper. He was the pilot, and Brand was a scientist. And these are the two main protagonists in the movie. And after they arrived at the star system, they noticed that two of those three planets weren't really good for life. Just a bunch of disaster happened. That's what makes a good movie. And uh, furthermore, they came to realize after they visited that second planet, man, they didn't have enough fuel to go visit that third and more promising uh, planet. But Cooper, being a great uh, uh, pilot and being with experience, he even realized that he was be able to slingshot around the black hole of the star system. And he did it. He traveled for that black hole. They dropped off some weight, and it was just enough of a slingshot to send that spacecraft to that third and more promising planet. And guess what? It was able to save the human race. Uh, Great movie. Why do I mention it? Because like that spaceship, Paul, and we're going to call him Saul throughout this whole thing for consistency, okay? Saul did not have power to change his mind. He did not have power to convert himself. He did it. Saul needed an external force so that his course could be changed. And Luke explains through this narrative how the only thing that could have changed Saul was God himself. Saul was an enemy of God. We're going to see how he becomes a disciple of God. And we're going to go through this narrative, but I want to do something a little bit different than I've done the past two weeks. Instead of me just expositing the word, I want Saul, who authored 13 New Testament books, to exposit to us. I want him to explain to us through his writings what happened. I want him to explain to us these major highlights of this conversion event. As we read the first two verses of chapter 9... We read of Saul's course. He was still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And because of the genitive construct of this Greek phrase, which was still breathing out threats and murders, we can understand it also to mean that he was breathing in of threats and murder. It's not that Saul was just speaking threats. It's not that just he was speaking murder. Rather, it was as if Saul was in an—it was as if he was in an atmosphere which provided and fed him with continual threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus Christ. So now we ask ourselves, why did Saul hate the disciples of the Lord? And I encourage you to take notes because we're going to go through a bunch of verses. In his letter to the Philippians, Saul wrote in a biographical fashion of those things that gave him confidence as a Jew. He wrote in Philippians chapter 3 verses 4 through 6, If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Saul considered him... to be a true Israelite, cream of the crop. According to the law, he was blameless. And because of these qualities which he possessed, these characteristics of himself, he possessed a great deal of confidence. And coupled with this confidence was his great zeal for the Jewish faith. And this self-confidence and zeal is what motivated Saul to persecute those who called on the name of Jesus Christ. In his mind, he was serving God. Serving him by arresting and killing Christians. He thought that by doing so, that he would establish his own righteousness and be found right before God. However, this zeal and this self-righteousness proved to be ungodly. We know this because Saul wrote in Romans chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. What does this mean? It means that Saul and many Jews were zealous for their faith. And they tried to establish their own righteousness through works. They had confidence in their works. They established a righteousness of themselves as if it would qualify them before God. However, Saul informs us of a universal truth. That all men are guilty and that there is none good. We read in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. In the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Saul thought he was doing God's work. He had a great zeal for the Jewish faith, and the zeal molded him him to establish his own righteousness by killing Christians. But in fact, what he was truly expressing was the depths of his depravity, the depths of his evil, and he proved through his actions that he was truly an enemy of God. And it was because Saul was evil and because he was at enmity with God that he persecuted Christians at Jerusalem. But not only in Jerusalem. As we read, he went to the chief priest and asked for authorization to make a six-day journey on foot. Can you imagine that? Six days of journey to seek out Christians so that he could arrest them and drag them, take them back to Jerusalem and try them before the high priest. Who does this? Imagine the kind of hate that had to have possessed Saul. Literally the expression, the road to hell is paved with good intentions was true in Saul. There was no way that we could tell that he would just change his mind about Jesus. So why did he? Why did Saul change his course? I think the better question is how was his uh, course changed? We notice that while he was on the way to kill those of the way, Saul was encountered by the Lord Jesus. The appearing of Jesus was like a flash of light. And this light caused Saul and the entire company that was with him to fall down to the ground. And accompanying the bright flash of light came the voice which asked, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And this voice required a response. Who are you, Lord? And the voice answered, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. This bright flash which Saul witnessed is nothing less than the glory of the resurrected Jesus. And it is this brilliant light which made Saul to understand, one, that he was a sinner, that he was at enmity with God, that he was fighting God. And two, that Jesus truly is the great Lord of glory, that Jesus is the God of glory whom Stephen, whom he killed, proclaimed unto his dying breath. This glorious Jesus is the one who Saul later wrote about in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. For we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, it was God who had illuminated the truth of Jesus unto Saul. God made known to Saul the true identity of Jesus as Lord, Jesus as God. God made known to Saul the glory of God in the person and in the face of Jesus Christ. Saul would not have acknowledged this of his own power. He would not have changed his course by his own will. It was God who had intervened miraculously into this enemy, And changed his life. It was not because of Saul that he changed his course. It was because God had mercy on him. It was because God loved Saul. And it was God who opened his eyes and his heart so that Saul would see who Jesus truly is. And likewise, the Father has caused this light to shine in all of us. It is for this reason that we believe on Jesus Christ. We were convinced by the power of the Holy Spirit and the testimony of the Holy Spirit of who Jesus is. It is by God's grace, His immeasurable mercy, that we can call Jesus Christ Lord. And together with Saul, we can sing this great doxology that says, He who is the blessed, he is the only sovereign, he who is the king of kings, he who is the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man can see and has seen. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Not only did Jesus reveal himself to Saul, But he gave Saul instruction to head into Damascus and to wait for for further word of what he must do. Saul's encounter with Jesus had left him blind and he required the assistance of others to lead him back into the city. I can only imagine the state in which Saul was found. As we mentioned last week, a gospel encounter is a crisis of faith for unbelievers. We see it here. We got it. We got this picture right now. Saul persecuting the people of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, behold, the Lamb of God, who was slain from the foundations of the earth. His whole belief system was wrecked after having been visited by the Lord Jesus himself. And I ask myself, how would we have reacted? How would we have responded if we had persecuted Christians and all of a sudden to be confronted by the Lord Jesus himself? How would we respond? The text tells us that Saul fasted for three days. Saul's fast from food and from drink communicates to us Saul's need of direction through reflection and through prayer. It communicates to us His poverty of spirit, that he had nothing to offer him. And Saul's waiting God was not in vain. Because God is faithful to his calling and to his promises. We read of this faithfulness of God when Saul had warned Gentiles against having an arrogant attitude against unbelieving Jews for rejecting Christ. He wrote in Romans eleven twenty eight 28-29, From the standpoint of the gospel, the Jews are enemies for your sake, but from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Here is the eternal truth. When the Lord calls, He is sure to honor His own calling. Jesus as God is faithful to telling his people Israel that they are his people. And just as God is faithful to Israel, God, as we will see, is faithful to Saul, and he confirms the calling and vision which he saw on the way to Damascus. And for Saul's sake, God demonstrated his faithfulness unto him by confirming that calling through a disciple named Dananias. We read last week of how the ministry of Philip and the conversion of the Samaritans was confirmed by those of high reputation of the church. You remember? John and Peter went to go confirm this ministry. But Saul, who was to become the apostle unto the Gentiles, was confirmed by a simple disciple. Someone who we only read of twice in the book of Acts, and I know of no other. A simple disciple. It is good that God was pleased to do it this way too because he communicates a wonderful truth to each of us. You see, there are no super believers. Paul had that problem. There were super apostles in his days. But there is no such thing. Each and every single one of you are beloved disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ if you have believed on him. There's none greater than another And Saul wrote of this in the first book of Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 22 through 25. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And now for the sake of Jesus' name, Ananias accepted his commission. The simple disciple went to the house of Judas to where Saul was praying and was faithfully waiting. Ananias knew how dangerous Saul was. He knew that Saul was authorized to chase and to arrest and to bring back to Jerusalem Christians for trial. He knew that the followers of Jesus were killed in the presence of Saul. He knew how Saul had ravaged the saints at Jerusalem. Yet Ananias trusted Jesus and he obeyed the command of the Lord. And we entered the house of Judas and he saw Saul, he said, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road of which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. We see that God confirmed the calling and the vision of Saul through Ananias, and Saul was healed for the mission at hand. The point of these 19 verses is to show us that God is completely sovereign. He is Lord over all creation, including his enemies. Saul thought that by killing Christians, he was doing the work of God. But once Jesus revealed himself, Saul was confronted with the truth that he had been fighting against the Lord himself. Furthermore, God demonstrated his sovereignty in choosing Ananias to confirm Saul's calling. Likewise, God is sovereign in His church today. He shined in us the light of the gospel by which we were saved. And whether you know it or not, you, each one of you, confirm one another's calling unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I love about CBC. Because through CBC, I'm able to see the people of God who love one another, who serve one another, We just saw the wonders and the great calling that God has made in people's lives to volunteer for VBS. We see how people answer the call to serve as deacons. We see how people answer the call to serve one another in great ways. Little do you know you're being used by God to confirm one another, to love one another. And I encourage each one of you, my brothers and sisters, continue doing that. Continue loving one another. Continue carrying out this mission of loving each other as you love yourself. In verses 19b through 30, we're going to observe the charge that was given to Saul from the Lord Jesus. We see in verses 15 through 60 that the Lord told Ananias of how Saul was chosen to proclaim the gospel and to suffer for Christ. We're going to reread those two verses and jump to 19b. We read, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, for several days, Saul was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. And when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plots became known to Saul. Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him. And how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. Lots of verses, but it comes down to two things. He was chosen to proclaim the name of Jesus, and he was chosen to suffer for the name of Jesus. And Saul didn't waste any time. When we read that the Lord Jesus chose Saul to proclaim the name of Jesus, I think most of us would understand the principle. We might not understand the scope. I mean, Saul was preaching before Gentiles, Jews, Israelites, kings. We might not understand that. We might not ever be called to speak the gospel unto heads of state or to kings, or to governors, or anything like that. But we do understand the principle. Speak and proclaim the name of Jesus. I think all of us, when we experienced that new birth, we felt the desire to share of our faith in Christ Jesus. Let me illustrate it this way. When I first saw my wife, I was taken by her beauty. And when I got to know her, I knew how wonderful of a young woman she was. And the more I came to know her, the more I loved her. I loved her sincerity. I loved her beauty. I loved her wisdom, even at that young of age. And I loved her tortillas. <laughs> if you can't tell, full gospel right here, buddy. <laughs> I loved her. Do you think I spoke badly of my wife than my girlfriend? No. I loved her. And I wanted to share with everyone the joy that I had with her. But even the most beautiful and even the most wonderful things of this earth in this universe, they blush in the presence of Jesus Christ. And like all. We all were great sinners. We might, not be a, we might not have persecuted the church. We might not have killed Christians. But I tell you what, all of us were idolaters. All of us were blasphemers. All of us at heart were murderers. All of us at heart were adulterers. And all of us were guilty of uh, against breaking God's law. You know what made it worse? We thought nothing of our guilt. We thought nothing of our guilty standing before God. But when the light of Jesus Christ shined, we realized how unworthy we truly were of God's saving grace. And we understood that. When we understood that, how could we not share the name of Jesus? How could we not share of His grace? How could we not share of the Almighty Creator's love for sinners like us. If my salvation had depended on me never in a million lives, never in eternity would I have saved myself. Oh, but glory be to Christ for His grace. Glory be to the Father for His calling. Glory be to the Holy Spirit for His convicting work in our lives. Because by this God and through this God are we saved to the praise of his name. Saul wrote of this. We read that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us unto him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will to the praise of the glory of His grace which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Because of God's election, Saul was saved. Because of God's choice, He was commissioned to preach the good news of Jesus to all men. It was God who changed Saul's course. He changed it from blasphemer to proclaimer of that blessed name. He changed him from being zealous for the law to becoming a saint of Jesus Christ. And the great news of salvation was preached in Damascus, in Jerusalem, and wherever Saul had traveled. And of this zeal for the true zeal, this righteous zeal. Saul wrote in Galatians 1, 15 through 16, but when God who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through His grace was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. And not everyone's called to be a preacher. Not everyone's called to stand behind the pulpit But all of us who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ and have been set free from the bondage of sin and guilt, we are compelled by love and by the grace of God to preach the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And I love to hear of how God chooses to save, that God chooses to use people for the expansion of His kingdom, but we have to deal with this one thing. Does God really choose us to suffer? This concept flies in the face of modern evangelical Christians. It flies in the face and it offends those who are nominal or cultural Christians. And This is foreign to many of us here in America because of the plague which prosperity gospel exists. We have men who would stand in pulpits And lie to their audiences of how God guarantees riches and fame and success. Behind huge smiles, they tell their people of how God promises to prosper them. But is that what we read here? No. What did Saul think of suffering? How did he understand suffering? First of all, he observed that Saul viewed it as our gain. We read in Philippians 1, 21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Though death is the enemy, it is an enemy that is conquered. And though we all must pass through this enemy of death, we all rejoice because we know that to die is to be in the presence of Christ, whom we love. Not only this, but we observe in the same chapter, In the same book, Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. I don't want to go to an extreme and say that you must be hated by every single person you meet. That's not what I'm trying to say. But it is inevitable that when we value what Christ values, when we hate what God hates, That there would be a clash between the followers of Jesus Christ and the culture. It's inevitable. Let's take this month for example. This is a month in which the world celebrates homosexual sin and they take pride in this. And in this clash, we will see that if you do not tolerate that, you are a bigot and intolerant. Not only that, but we see how the world demands the celebration of murder in the womb. And if you don't celebrate that you're against women When we refuse to celebrate these things We will be hated And beloved, it should not be a surprise Did not Jesus Christ himself say If they hated me, they will hate you It is bound to happen But we suffer because It is not only just a grace unto us But it is also our portion It is our share. It is through suffering that we know we are children of God. We read in Romans 8, 16 through 17, the Spirit Himself testifies with our Spirit that we are children of God and of children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. In other words, Saul knew that by God's grace of suffering, he was a child of God. This adoption into God's family afforded him all the rights and benefits of being united with Jesus. But with confidence, Saul was able to say that suffering was a mark of being adopted into the family of God. It is for this reason that he was able to write in that last verse in 18 on your slide, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's why he was able to suffer well. And that's why we also can suffer well. And so what does the conversion and the conflicts of Saul tell us about God? Again, I remind you that he is sovereign over all things. And that he is Lord even over his enemies. And that's a good thing, my friends. Because Saul would not have changed his mind had the Lord not intervened in his life. Allow me to remind you that it was Saul, by his own works, that put him on that road to hell. But it was Lord Jesus who revealed himself to Saul It was the Lord Jesus who confirmed Saul through Ananias. It was the Lord who empowered Saul to preach the gospel. And it was the Lord who preserved Saul through his suffering. Saul contributed no good work unto his salvation except the sin that required a Savior. And likewise, our salvation is not earned through our works. I don't care how good you think you are. We're all guilty of sin. And we all have a great need for a Savior. And that Savior is only Jesus Christ. How then do we live? How do we live in accordance with the knowledge that our salvation is the right work of Christ and Christ alone? How do we live then with the knowledge that our salvation is the result of Christ's work and that the assurance of our faith is God's work in us? but well, we ought to proclaim, Christ. We proclaim Him because we're compelled by His love for Him, because we are obedient to Christ, because we love Christ, Church, and the growth of that Church. And we're going to see a, we see a great example of that today. We see how our youth is called to New York City, and they're going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm grateful to see that. And we should encourage them to fight the good fight, to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ because it has pleased God to use us in that way. But not only that, but we're to suffer well. We're supposed to suffer well because suffering confirms our union to Jesus Christ. Suffering confirms our adoption into the family of God. And suffering prepares us for the future glory that is to come on that last day. Be encouraged, church. Live for your king and suffer well as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I invite you to pray with me. O eternal, wonderful, magnificent, and gracious God, we thank you. We thank you because through your word you teach us of your great grace, of your eternal love, and that you are a faithful God. We ask, O Lord, that you would Continue to be with us. Continue to be with every believer here at CBC and that you would confirm us, O God, through one another. We ask, O God, that you would empower us through your Holy Spirit to proclaim the blessed name of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, in our moments of suffering, in our moments of tribulation and affliction, as we could come into conflict with the culture, we ask, O God, that you would preserve us, that you would hold fast unto us, O God. We thank you, O God. We worship you. And we say all power and dominion be to you. In the blessed name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Let's continue to sing out today. Scripture tells us that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Today, today we stand behind that truth as we lift us up. Let's stand together.
1: Jacob, whose love endures through generations. I know that you will keep your covenant. I'm calling on the to do the same thing Providing now, you are the same God, you are the same God.
4: As we close out our service, uh, we are going to be commissioning our New York teams, if our New York team could come on up. Uh, It's our privilege as a church to send uh, our members, and in this case, our youth team to New York as ambassadors, uh, both for this church, but more importantly for Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And so I would encourage you over uh, this next week, they leave on Saturday. so be praying for them, uh, be praying that they would represent uh, our church well, that they would represent the gospel well, and that they would, they would be protected, and, and that they would be drawn closer to God through this experience. Uh, so as a church, if you join me, let's pray and commission them now, and I'll close our service out. Uh, Father, we come into your presence this day with thanks and praise. We thank you that you are the same God who is still working today, like you have so faithfully done in the past. So, Lord, we commit this team to you, we put them into, place them into your hands, and we pray that you would use them, uh, both for the proclamation of your gospel, for your kingdom, uh, but also that you would draw them in a, into a more intimate relationship with yourself as they as they go out in faith, Lord, to, to serve your kingdom. And so would you protect them, would you guide them, and would you open up opportunities for your gospel, even now, Spirit, would you go before and prepare a way, prepare the soil, that it would be ready to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we commission this team in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and just pray that your blessings and your grace would be upon them. And Lord, as we leave this morning, we pray that you would go with us, that you would uh, encourage us to be a part of this proclamation of the the good news of Jesus, Lord, in the mission fields you've given us, that in our communities and our workplaces and uh, over the summer that you would give us opportunity to just step out in faith and trust that the gospel is the, is your power unto salvation to all who will believe so we go in the promise that you will work through us for your kingdom and for your glory in jesus name amen